Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back, everyone, to the Lay the Points podcast. I'm your host, Kendall Caps, alongside Jordan Chereau. Scotty Scheffler, huh? World's number one first kid. Well, I shouldn't call him a kid. Uh, he certainly is playing like a grown man nowadays. Uh, you know, he went 70 starts throughout his career without winning a tournament and then entered the Masters as the number one player in the world, having won three of his prior five tournaments that he entered and became the first player since 1991 to enter the Masters as the world's number one and then take home the green jacket. It was one heck of a performance. I'll be honest, I was a little disappointed because I wanted to see some more drama. And early on in the final round, when Cameron Smith came out, went birdie, birdie on the first and second holes, I thought, okay, here we go. We're going to have a good final round. And then Scheffler answered right back on that chip in from off the green on the third hole. And that from there, it never felt in doubt. So that was probably the one thing that was really missing from the tournament. But outside of that, we had some spectacular shots. I mean, hey, Tiger played. He played an outstanding first round of golf, carding a, a one under 71 and made some truly amazing shots on that first day. But I think the physicality certainly took its toll as the tournament went along. Yeah, it was amazing to see Tiger out there. I mean, we're both huge Tiger Wood fans and uh, just to see him out there, you know, just kind of surprising us all because he hadn't played in so long and just to see him go out there and and play really well and actually make it to uh, day three, which was which was awesome. But he kind of fell off in day three. I believe he shot a plus eight. 70. I think he shot six over both Saturday and Sunday. Um, which tied his worst uh, round at a Masters ever, and his 13 over, 13 over for the tournament was also the worst score of his career. So certainly didn't finish it the way he had envisioned. Um, and that's where I feel like, you know, both of us didn't think he was going to make the cut. We, we kind of figured it's been so long since he's played a professional round of golf the physicality would take its toll early and we wouldn't see the same tiger. And to his credit, like I said, he had an amazing Thursday uh, and really hung in there, got a ton of up and downs, made some great par saves. He did a great job scrambling on, on Thursday, did a decent job on Friday, but as it wore along, he just, you know, he just didn't have it physically to be able to compete with everyone else. That was obviously at full strength, but it was great to see the uh, tiger Sunday reds, right? I mean, yeah, it was nice to see and to see the applause as he's coming up 18 again. It certainly it you know, it felt good to see him back out there on a Sunday. Hey, like kudos to us, a couple of the guys that we highlighted. You had what, Rory, I think, uh winning it and he finished second for you. I did. Yeah. I mean, that that uh day 4, uh, what did he shoot? He was like pl- uh a eight minus under eight. 64, tied a Masters final round record. That chip in that Rory had on uh, out of the bunker on 18 to see that emotion, it was it was amazing, and uh, he definitely put the pressure on on Scotty Scheffler. But uh, Scotty held tough and um, ended up winning his first major championship. And I know you had another pick that we talked about last week. So Colin Morikawa, who I liked a lot coming into the tournament, he also similar to Rory went out with a bang. He he was paired with Rory on, on the final day. He also birdied eighteen with a pretty spectacular shot. Um, and like you said, he finished fifth. He did really well. We had 
Shane Lowry, who I forgot to even mention, I had him in my notes, and he did really, really well finishing in third. Of course, Victor Hovland, he, I think he finished 27th at four over, so it wasn't quite the showing I was expecting from him. But overall, some of the guys that we highlighted did a good job. But Scheffler, like you said, he didn't buckle under that pressure. Um, ironically, the only time he seemed to really make a mistake was on 18 when he four-putted on Sunday, but he was up by five strokes at that point. So there wasn't any pressure. So I feel like that, you know, he, he gets a pass on that one. Overall, it was a fun tournament. It's congratulations to Scotty Scheffler. It was one heck of a performance from day one, all the way through the tournament. So he, he certainly earned it. And another thing that we didn't really get a chance, we, you know, last week we broke down what we thought was going to happen in the title game. And it feels like it was so long ago, but it was just last Monday the NCAA championship game between North Carolina and Kansas, which we had Kansas covering the four point spread in a tight game. And, you know, I'll be honest, I got, I got to eat a little bit of crow in this one. I thought Kansas would be the aggressor early and the emotion from North Carolina playing against Duke in the final four would cost them early in the game. And Kansas did jump out to a seven, nothing lead and, and was the aggressor and played well the first few minutes. And then North Carolina completely dominated the paint the rest of the half crushed them on the boards. I think at one point they were outscoring them 18-2 to in second-chance points and led big, but credit to Bill Self, credit to those kids at Kansas, sticking tough, staying with their game plan, and their defense in the second half was absolutely phenomenal and was the primary reason that they pulled off what ended up being the greatest comeback in uh, championship game history. Well, speaking of basketball, let's let's get into the NBA, okay? So now we have... The regular season is done. Now we have the uh, the playing uh, games ready to go starting tomorrow and Wednesday. And we have the matchups. I do want to say um, there was an injury last night. Luka Doncic um, has a left calf strain. He's scheduled to get an MRI today. There's still no update. Um, what do you think about the Mavericks' chances with one of the best players in the league possibly playing on, a, on an injury that Rudy Gobert had earlier this year missed three weeks. That is tough to overcome. If if he even plays, there is a very good chance at this point. Like you said, the the results aren't out yet from his MRI, um, and depending upon the severity of the injury, if he's hobbled, it significantly hurts their chances. They're already underdogs in Game One, as we'll get to, without the news on exactly the timetable for his return. But if he doesn't come back at all, I don't know how Dallas wins that series against a very good Utah Jazz team. Yeah, it's going to be very, very tough. I don't know how it it would be to play on a uh, strained calf. I'm sure it's very, very painful. So I'm sure he's going to give it all he can unless the team just thinks it's not worth it and um, they just want to sit him for a few games. But by then they could already be down 0-2 and that's going to be very, very hard to come back. So... Some of the other teams, they rested a lot of their superstars. What do you think about that strategy? I know it kind of had an effect on one of your bets last week. Yeah, I was really, really annoyed. Now, granted, at the same time, I'm happy my Celtics, we won the Atlantic Division, uh, but we won it more so because Memphis decided to bench their whole squad, and we actually played our starters. Coach Udoka talked about it this morning. And said, hey, listen, I didn't play any of my starters more than 26 minutes, but we wanted to keep them fresh. We don't want them playing going too long without playing games. But they're already going to not be playing for the next week as it is almost. So, I mean, getting them some minutes last night, 
I feel like they probably figured, you know what? We don't know for sure who we're going to play in the next round. If we can go ahead and win this division right now, because they knew Milwaukee had already lost earlier in the day yesterday. So they knew if they had won, they would jump Milwaukee and get the two seed, which that very well might be a second round matchup. And if you're going to play Milwaukee, the defending champs, it's better to have home court than have to go on the road in game one. So I can see why. Uh, you know, they, they made the choices that they made, but it certainly worked against me in, in my prediction because I, I thought Philly would win at least three of their final four, which they did. Um, I just didn't foresee Memphis benching everyone and Boston was able to capture that last game and, and win the Atlantic division. But it sets up it, what could be an amazing Kyrie going back to Boston matchup, depending upon what happens mm-hmm. in, in the uh, playing games, which speaking of the playing games, do you want to get into the sum of those? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so like the the first game, the the Nets and the Cavs, the seven eight. The Nets are given eight to Cleveland, uh, an over under at two twenty eight. The money line minus four hundred. Clearly, Vegas, you know, has just a slight idea of who might win that one. I'm Nets all day. I mean, like the Cavs have definitely um, been one of the surprise teams this year with Darius Garland and Jared Allen. Uh, being there and uh, Mobley, their rookie, has been really, really good. But, um, you know, I mean, you're playing KD, Kyrie's rolling right now. I don't think they're going to have Ben Simmons, but that's okay. Like, they'll be able to to handle business. Um, Brooklyn has won three, uh, uh, three or four this year, most recently 118 to 107 three days ago. I'm not going to bet against KD. Like, I don't think he's going to lose to Cleveland. But, um, but you think they cover the line? Because the Nets, shockingly, when I was looking into this, they were 10 and 30 against the spread at home this year. That's the worst in the entire NBA. And it wasn't even close. They were like six, seven games worse than any other team against the spread at home. And eight points is a lot of points. Like I could see Cleveland giving them a game. Um, and even if this is a 10 to 15 point game, and then they coast a little bit down the stretch, Cleveland could have a backdoor cover as well. But it is still at the same time, Knowing that Jared Allen, because, uh, you know, Coach Bickerstaff, he talked about Allen's uh, possibility of suiting up for this game. And he was kind of curt when he talked about it. And he just said, if he's ready to go, he'll go. That that doesn't sound like the biggest vote of confidence that Jared Allen will be ready to play. They have Evan Mobley back, um, but Allen is arguably the most important part of this team, especially with what he does defensively. And knowing what they're going to be going up against offensively, if they're missing him, that's a big blow to overcome. So, I mean, even though eight points is a lot to swallow, it's still hard to see a lot of avenues where Cleveland is going to cover, right? I mean, like I look at this matchup as one thing and it's experience going against KD, Kyrie, like they've all been there. And I know like during the regular season, you know, they're, you know, like they've just kind of like not really kind of shown like the confidence like to take a line like that. But I think KD and Kyrie, they're going to be ready to roll. And I think they're going to cover, I would say like they're going to win by 10 if I had to say, but um, I'm not worried about this one. Like I just think their experience and now they have some depth now. Um, I don't know. Like is Seth Curry going to be playing in this game? I believe so. Okay. Well, and this is one of the few games where you know, normally when you have a massive favorite like this, and like I said, the, the money line is the Nets minus 400. I, I rarely ever want to lay those kinds of odds because it's just not worth the return, return generally for that potential risk. 
But this is one where I feel like you and I feel so confident that, you know, I might put $400 on the Nets to only win 100 just because I pretty much know they're going to win this game, right? Right. Yep. Yep. Definitely. So, I mean, even laying those odds on a money line, you're probably still safe, I would say. Yeah. Just talent alone. I mean, Kyrie and and Durant, like they could, they could win the game by themselves. And if their bench players are cooking too, forget about it. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, let's move on to the, the other, uh, Eastern conference play in game, uh, Atlanta, they're at home giving four and a half to Charlotte, uh, with an over under a two thirty eight and a half. It's a pretty big number. Uh, money line, Atlanta's minus one eighty. Charlotte's plus one sixty. What do you think? <laughs> this one's a tough one. I like the over. I mean, like they don't guard anybody, and they can definitely put up points. Trey Young. I mean, he's been on a tear. I think I saw a stat today. He's like the first player to like lead the league in assists and points in the same year. That's never been done before. I mean, he could put up fifty easily, and the Hornets can be very explosive. So I expect it to be a high scoring game. As far as the line, it's it's really tricky. Um, if I had to lean, I would definitely lean the Hawks way. I agree. This of the four playing games, this was the one I had the hardest time with, with the line. Uh, I think Vegas did a really, really good job at setting it at four and a half. And I would probably stay away, maybe lay the 180 and take Atlanta on the money line. But like you, I also really like the over. I think Charlotte was hoping when they made some moves at the deadline, they were hoping that Montrez Harrell would be able to make a difference for them defensively getting some athleticism but it hasn't really translated on the court. Both teams are playing really well coming into this game. The Hornets went 11 and four down the stretch. The Hawks were 12 and five their last 17, but Atlanta, similar to the last game experience matters in the postseason. And at the very least, this relatively young Hawks squad made it all the way to the Eastern conference finals last year. And they were a really, really good home team. This game's going to be in Atlanta. So I do like them to win the game straight up, but the four and a half number, it, it's a tough spot. So I'd probably just swallow the 180 and, and go money line. Uh, next one is Timberwolves minus two and a half versus the Clippers. Over under is 230 and a half. Money line, Minnesota minus 140, Clippers plus 120. What do you have on that? You know, it's funny. When I first saw that the line was only two and a half, I was surprised in part because Minnesota has been a very good team, quietly been a very good team for much of the year, and they finished a good 10 games clear of the Clippers, and yet the line is only two and a half. My guess is that's a large reflection to, you know, Paul George is back. The Clippers have been playing pretty well uh, since he returned. I think they've won five straight, six of their last seven since he came back. Um, so maybe Vegas is thinking it's a, it's a different Clippers team. But when I looked into it, the teams, they, were, they weren't playing, you know, some of the toughest competition. And I just don't know outside of Paul George who they can rely on to score. Uh, you know, the Clippers are a good defensive team, but they struggle to score at times. They go through long stretches where they can't score. And quietly, Paul George, since he came back, He's only shot better than 36% twice. So he hasn't been shooting the ball well. And against this Timberwolves team, between Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and D'Angelo Russell, that's three guys that might get you 70. 
Like, I just don't know if the Clippers have enough firepower to keep up. And I think Vegas overcorrected the line with the emergence of Paul George and the Clippers. And the Clippers are playing a little better than they actually are right now. And so, therefore, I like Minnesota at minus two and a half. I love Minnesota. They have this edge this year that they're talking trash to teams. I mean, led by the head of the snake with Patrick Beverly, he gets to play one of his old teams in the, in the Clippers. So you know, he's going to be fired up, but they just have this edge and this confidence about them. It kind of reminds me of the Memphis Grizzlies, both of those teams. They have this chip on their shoulder. They don't care who they're playing. They're going to play their style of basketball. And exactly with that three headed monster. I mean, Anthony Edwards, he, he put up what 47 the other day, like, they have so many explosive scores. D'Angelo Russell could go for 40. Carl Anthony Towns could go for 50. Like it's, it's crazy and they're long and athletic and they play great defense. So Paul George is going to have to carry this team. Like we all know he's going to have to put up 30 plus points. Norman Powell, like, is he going to step up and be Paul George's Robin? Like, I don't know. Cause Kawhi's not coming back for probably not this year. Maybe if they go far into the playoffs, but um, they do have a really good coach with Ty Lue. They play good defense. But I'm I'm giving the edge to the T-Wolves, just like you said. They've been a uh, – nobody's really talked about them, and I really think they're going to come out, and they're going to uh, punch the Clippers really hard, and we'll see how the Clippers respond. But I definitely like the minus 2.5. Um, definitely like that uh, line for the T-Wolves. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. I do think the, the Clippers have – they bring a level of physicality uh, to the game and it, it allows them to stay in a lot of games. And I think they're going to want to muck this game up, make it chippy. You know, there's a good chance it doesn't hit the two thirty and a half. I wouldn't be surprised at all if this game was one Oh nine, one Oh four, something like that. Uh, that would not surprise me whatsoever if they do a decent job at limiting the Timberwolves efficiency offensively. I just don't trust the Clippers to be able to score enough themselves. So even though I think it'll be close, two and a half, that's basically a pick them uh, in most circles. So knowing that, yeah, give me the T-Wolves minus two and a half. The Pelicans minus four and a half versus the Spurs over under 229. Moneyline Pelicans minus 200. Spurs plus 175. Who do you got? Man, I'm really tempted to take the Spurs money line at plus 175. You're almost getting two to one on your money. And this Spurs team, they I know they struggled the last week, week and a half down the stretch, but they were also playing mostly the best teams in the NBA during that time. But they have really, really stepped it up in the second half of the season. Once they realized the Lakers were an attainable goal, passing the Lakers, because at one point it appeared like they were headed straight to the lottery and they've really turned their season around. DeJounte Murray is such an outstanding young player. So I, I'm tempted to take their money line but i i can't quite do it but i will take the four and a half points though if i had to go one way i'm, I'm taking the four and a half with the spurs i think i think maybe the pelicans win the game really really close but it's a tight game and i don't think the Pels will win by five the spurs out of the last 25 years they've made the playoffs 24 of them so wow they just have built such a good culture there you you can never ever ever count them out regardless of what talent they have on the team like they still succeed like remained and had success after losing Ginobili Duncan Parker I just think that is how bad as the Pelicans started the year they were awful and they haven't had Zion credit to them to making a, a big move getting CJ McCollum getting more scoring 
um, for to to team up with Brandon Ingram. I do like their big Valanchunas, but yeah, yeah I this one's tough. But I'm gonna go with Greg Popovich and his I'm taking the Spurs. Uh, with I'm the taking, points, uh, yeah, I'm gonna take the Spurs. Yeah, I I think. That's probably the smart way to play this for un, for numerous reasons. And there was a, something else that really stood out to me when I was looking into this game. And both the Pelicans and particularly the Spurs, they hit their under at an insanely alarming rate. Uh, and I believe the Spurs, they, they hit the under more often than any team in basketball. And the Pelicans were not far behind. Or it might have been the opposite. It might have been the Pelicans who had hit the under more than anyone in the NBA, and the Spurs weren't too far behind. And 229 for two teams that are pretty good on the defensive side of the ball, especially of late down the stretch, 229 is kind of a big number. I mean, you're looking at a 116-113 a game. I could definitely see this game, similar to the T-Wolves-Clippers game, being played in the 105s to the 110s. So I also really think the under is a sneaky play here. I could definitely see that. Yeah, the Pelicans yeah. at home. Yeah, it was the Spurs on the road in particular. That's what it was. The Spurs on the road hit the under 75% of the time. And this game's going to be in New Orleans. And the Pelicans hit the under at home more than 50% of the time. So the numbers say to 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 hammer the under. So I think maybe that's that's the key play because the four and a half is still tough. It's not a slam dunk because the Spurs, let's face it, they're not a good, they're not a very good basketball team. They've you know, outkick their coverage, so to speak, and played really well in the second half of the season. But they're not by any means a very good basketball team. So they could lose this game by more than four and a half. So really, I think maybe the smartest or at least the safest play might be to to go after the under. But, you know, that's just a little food for thought. Also on Saturday, we have game one lines uh, for four games. We'll start with the 76ers minus four and a half versus the Raptors. The over-under is 217 and a half. We also have the series as well. The 76ers are minus 183 and the Raptors are plus 163. I think game one, Philadelphia wins likely covers, uh, but it will be close. The Raptors are a lot better than almost anyone gives them credit for. They had the best record in the NBA this year against the top four teams in each conference. So when they've played the best teams, they've done very, very well. Uh, And they are also playing really, really well coming in. Meanwhile, Philadelphia, including beating Philadelphia, when Philly essentially had the division and the two seed on the line last week. Remember when I said Philly was going to win the division, I said the one losable game was to Toronto and they lost to Toronto in Toronto. And the fact that Thibault, who is unvaccinated and because of the vaccination rules, you can't enter the country of Canada unless you're fully vaccinated. So he can't go up there and play. And, you know, he's not a big part of their team offensively, but defensively, he's one of the most active players they have. And I think that that is potentially really important as the series plays along, goes along. I wouldn't at all at plus 163. I kind of like the Raptors to win the series, even though I do like the Sixers game one. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to take the 76ers. I think that they win in six, but I think it'll be pretty good. Like, I think the Raptors will definitely put a scare into them a little bit, but, you know, they have the future uh, MVP, I believe, of this year. And I think James Harden is going to have a great first round series. So I definitely like the minus 183 for the Sixers in this series. All right. And then let's move to the other Eastern Conference series that we have some game one odds for. 
uh, in what should be a boat race. Uh, the three seed Bucks, man, did things fall their way, uh, benching people at the right time, and for them to be able to fall to the three seed and then get to play Chicago, like that was the desired spot. I was hoping my Celtics would get the three seed because I think everybody wants to play the Bulls. Uh, they were favored by nine and a half uh, in game one against Chicago with an over-under of 229. For the series, the Bucks are minus 1,200. Meanwhile, Chicago's plus 750. What, what do you think? I'm actually taking the Bulls in game one. I think they're definitely going to, but at plus nine and a half, I'm taking the Bulls. I just think that the Bucks are going to come out flat. But as far as the series go, no, I, I definitely think. Oh, but you, wow. So you not only do you like the the bulls to cover but you think they win game one as well i do yep interesting i i do like i i absolutely could see them covering because nine and a half is a big number you know it's the first game of the playoffs they have a, a lot of young kids that like to run and they they can score um so i wouldn't be at all surprised if they covered i i can't quite pick them to win outright which you know if, if you feel that strongly, then yeah, you might as well go money line. But yeah, for the series, there's no way. I don't think anyone is, is taking the Bulls. Even at plus 750, I still don't see value there. They're, if they play the series eight times, the Bulls aren't winning at any of those eight times. This isn't the NHL. This isn't Major League Baseball. This is the NBA. And the Bucks are much better than the Chicago Bulls. And they're going to win that series. So I wouldn't even bother with that plus 750. Don't waste your money. Um, but yeah, Game one, though, I could see Chicago covering that six and a half or nine and a half. That is. All right. Well, then let's move over to the Western Conference. Um, we, we touched a little bit on this at the top of the show. So the Jazz are actually favored on the road by two and a half at Dallas in game one. I'm sure that has a lot to do with the Luka Doncic injury and, you know, the whether or not he'll even suit up for that game. It's hard not to like them. They're, it's two and a half. They just so basically... Just win by a bucket, you know, make it a three-pointer, uh, and that's if the game is close. For the series, the Jazz, minus 140, sounds pretty solid as well because if I had to guess, it doesn't look great for the chances that Doncic plays, and if he does, he's certainly not going to be fully healthy. And behind him, the Mavs, what do they have? Spencer Dinwiddie, Jalen Brunson, they're, they're good players, but they don't have any elite players, and they're going to struggle to get shots off in the paint. Um, and especially with Rudy Gobert, just locking stuff down. And you know that Donovan Mitchell's rearing to go. There's been a lot of chatter all year long about, is he even going to be there? So like, I feel like they see a huge opportunity in front of them right now. And I expect Utah to pounce on that, cover game one, and lay the 140, bet the Jazz to win the series. I absolutely love the Jazz at 140 for the series, for sure. I mean... Even if Luka comes back and plays not at 100% with a strained left calf, I mean, it's going to affect his mobility driving to the basket. I like the Jazz 140 big time. This is one of the series that I like um, the most, so I would go hard on the Jazz. All right, and then brings us to our final game. So the Warriors, who've you know not been close to the same team during the second half of the season, they're favored by four points at home against the six-seed Nuggets. Um, and the Warriors to win the series are laying their minus 215. The Nuggets are plus 185. What do you like? Um, I love Michael Malone. He's one of my favorite coaches in the NBA. You have Jokic and they play good defense. 
and they move the ball. Like their passing is so infectious and it's so much fun to watch just to watch guys get wide open shots and watch Jokic just do his magic on the court. But if I had to put my own money on it, I'm taking the Warriors. I know Curry's trying to make his way back. I think he's going to be okay. And if he gets rolling and Clay gets rolling with Draymond and they're one of the deepest teams in the league with their bench, I'm going to take the Warriors. But I think this is going to be one of the most entertaining series, I think, um, in the first round. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I'm a little bit torn because the Warriors are the better team. But the team that we saw during the second half of the season, even before Steph Curry's injury, was not the same team. And they haven't been able to get, you know, a cohesive unit together between Clay was out, Draymond was in and out of the lineup. Now Steph has been down the last couple of weeks. They still don't know for certain if he's even going to suit up in game one. So knowing all that, I'd probably lean Denver game one. But as the season, or excuse me, as the series moves along, I do think the the difference in talent will show Golden State should win the series, but at minus 215, I also don't really love laying those kinds of odds knowing how bad the Warriors have been playing. So I would stay away from a series bet with this, but in game one, I actually like the Nuggets. I think similar to how you felt about the, the uh, was it the Bulls shocking the Bucks? you know, there being one big upset in game one where a team came out flat. That's kind of how I feel about this game. I think the Nuggets are going to be the ones to come out and kind of do that. And I think they might win game one outright. They might only get one other game the rest of the way. Uh, but yeah, I'd probably go Denver plus four. But this is a really tricky one because I don't know what Warriors team we're going to get. All right. Well, get ready. Buckle up. We got uh, some exciting NBA action happening this week. And uh, it should be a lot of fun. We've been saying for years, and, and a lot of people have, the NBA regular season is a bit too long. I would love if they shortened it a little bit. But now we're finally here. We're at the, the really fun part of the season where there's going to be tons of excitement, some great finishes, and we'll be able to you know dive into it, and we'll see how we do. And then uh, we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.